Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Excited to be in the house of the Lord as always on a Sunday morning? Oof, that was, that was pretty bad. I mean, whatever. <laughs> hey, I'm Pastor Jake. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Excited to unpack the word with you and for you today as we go into uh, Colossians chapter 4. If you're joining us online, I want to say welcome to you, uh, whether that's uh, at our online campus at greatoaks.online uh, or Facebook Live. And if you are joining us at either of those, share that on social media. Share that Facebook Live post and uh, the website so that you can get other people to join with you. And let us know where you're watching from and, and who you're watching with. We would love to connect with you, and we're excited uh, that you're joining us online. So um, we've been in a series uh, in this summer, all throughout the summer, on the book of what? Colossians. You guys are great at that. Um, Colossians, just going verse by verse through this book, uh, trying to allow uh, the Word of God to speak to us directly um, instead of kind of picking and choosing, but going every verse and letting the Word speak to us. Today is part 11, so it's our last week in this book. If you've missed any of these uh, messages because you're out of town or sick or just lazy, right? I was just a little shame, just, just accept it. Um, then you should go online at greatoaks.church and grab those messages there. You can watch them there. Next week, we'll be starting a new series I'm excited about, three-week series as we jump back into school called Follow Me. It's going to be an awesome series, so don't miss that. All right, so I've, I've never been all that musical in my life. Um, I've always been able to sing okay, and I like to sing, uh, but I've never, you know, growing up, I didn't learn how to really play an instrument or anything, except for the one instrument I did play uh, for a little bit, the tuba. And so I played the tuba for one year in high school band, my sophomore year, because my girlfriend was in band. And then she broke up with me, and I broke up with the tuba. And so <laughs> I played the tuba poorly for a year. Other than that, I never really learned an instrument, but I've always liked uh, to sing, and I've always liked to sing to the Lord. Worship the Lord is uh, through songs, kind of how I feel most connected uh, to God. You know, there's a lot of ways to worship God, right? Um, we can, we, our life is a, is a worship song to the Lord, a praise song to Jesus. Uh, but everybody has kind of a way that they feel most connected uh, to God, right? Some of, for some of us, it's song. It's singing uh, with, a, you know, with the radio or with the worship team or whatever, singing uh, to the Lord, and we feel connected to Him uh, when we sing. Some, it, you know, singing is hard. It's like, eh, I'm not going to do that, but I feel connected in a different way. Some people feel very connected to God uh, when they're out in creation, right? So when they're looking at the trees and the mountains and the mosquitoes, and the snakes, and those mole things that keep messing up my yard. They worship, some people worship God through creation, right? Um, some people worship God in the silence, through study, study of his word. And I can totally relate to that. I feel very connected to God uh, when he illuminates the scripture to me, when he enlightens my heart to the truth of his word. I feel close to him. I take a step close to him. I get that. But for me, worshiping through music is when I feel closest to the Lord. So I've always had this desire to either play piano or guitar, but I never really learned. And 
Um, I, I just wanted to kind of be able to play a worship song or some worship songs at my house and maybe lead my family in worship and just carry this on. I don't have to, you know, do it by radio and I don't have to do it just on Sunday mornings, but I'd be able to create music for the Lord. All that to say, last Christmas, uh, my wife Erin got me a guitar. And I've been uh, learning guitar just on my own uh, through YouTube because you can learn anything if you just know how to search on YouTube, right? And I found as I've learned guitar uh, that really to play like the vast majority of worship songs, I just needed to know like four chords, five chords maybe, and like three strumming patterns, and then I could play. As long as I could switch between those in time, I could play a bunch of worship songs. And so I found that I love playing guitar. I play guitar. This has just been since January, January 1, you know, Christmas. I didn't play between Christmas and just felt wrong. So I got a clean start on 2018, January 1. And so I've just been playing since January 1, and I love it. I mean, it has been this positive thing in my life, this positive thing in my walk with Jesus because I'm just worshiping more through song and feeling connected to him in, in a greater way. It's been a positive thing in my family uh, because I'll sit down and play worship songs and my family will come around. My daughter Kennedy, who's nine, plays chord piano. She'll jump on the piano sometimes and we'll play songs together. Uh, my wife, Erin, you saw her up uh, on the platform. She sings, so she'll sing and try to keep me in tune and whatever. Uh, on key, and then Joshua will just run circles, and it's great. It's just great, and I don't know where Hannah is during those times, but we just sing to the Lord, and it's this positive thing in our, in our lives. I love it, and God has given me this, um, and he, I even played um, and sang a couple worship songs uh, for the residents at Southside Mission uh, when my life group went and, and uh, did a meal for them back in May. Now, Here's, here's what I learned about my guitar. Here's what I've learned. It's worthless if nobody ever picks it up and plays it. This guitar is absolutely worthless if no one with any kind of skill, even a little bit of skill, ever picks it up and plays it. I mean, it's worthless. Like, it can't do tricks. It can't sweep the floor. I mean, it can't even answer questions like Alexa can. I mean, this thing is worthless. If nobody with any amount of skill is ever going to pick this guitar up and play it, then it'd be better used as firewood, right? I mean, maybe home defense. I don't know. But if somebody with even the tiniest bit of skill picks this guitar up and plays it, somebody with the tiniest bit of skill picks this guitar up and plays it. How'd I do? Those are my main four chords. <laughs> and I messed up on one. If somebody with just even the tiniest bit of skill picks up this guitar and plays it, its worth shines through, doesn't it? I mean, its worth becomes very evident. There's value in it. It's, not, it's no longer just wooden string. It's not just decoration anymore. How many of you have a piano at your house that's just decoration? 
or a laundry holder, right? You just the laundry, put stuff on the piano, nobody ever plays it. It's not just decoration anymore. I mean, this guitar, this guitar, when played by the right person, can, can lead people into the presence of God. I mean, this guitar can bring people to tears. It can move the hearts of thousands if played by the right person. If it's in the right hands, this guitar's value is clear. But if it's not played or it's in the wrong hands, it's really worthless, isn't it? And the more it's left alone in the corner to gather dust, the more difficult it's going to be if somebody were to ever pick it up and try to play it, right? And depending on the skill of the person playing it, you see more and more of its worth. Does that make sense? In the last verses of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul mentions some names. And from these names that he's going to mention and his own life, we can see what happens when a life like a guitar is placed in the right hands, in the master's hands, in the hands of Jesus. We get this kind of patchwork, tapestry kind of a view of what it looks like in these last few verses, what it looks like to put your life in the hands of Jesus, to be played by Jesus. And we see that it's, it works out differently for different people because we're different, right? And the body is made up of different parts and we have our roles and our functions, just like there's different kinds of guitars, Bass guitars and electric guitars and acoustic guitars and six string or 12, 12 string or like big bodied guitars and thin bodied guitars or like mellow and soft guitars or loud and brassy guitars. I won't tell you which one of those you are. Big bodied, loud and brassy. Probably the person next to you can tell you, okay? But we're different and we get used by God in different ways. And remember what's happening with Paul and with this letter to the, to the Colossian church. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's probably chained to a guard most of every day of his life at this time. He's traveled all across the known world, planting churches, settling disputes, encouraging the believers, doing some church discipline here, and they're leading pastors, discipling people. He's been doing all that for years, and it's landed him in prison in Rome. Now he can't go anywhere. He's allowed some visitors, but that's about it. And one of those visitors shows up, a guy by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras was probably one to the Lord in Paul's ministry in Ephesus years before the book of Colossians was ever written. And so Epaphras shows up and he begins to tell the Apostle Paul what's going on in this church in Colossae, this church, this little church that the Apostle Paul had never been to before, some thousand miles, about a thousand miles away from him in Rome. This church that Epaphras just loved and cared for and wanted to see the best in and for. And he tells them how these people have kind of showed up at this little church where life transformation has happened, good things have happened, and they, these people showed up and they tell the people there, the Colossian believers, they say, hey, you guys are doing pretty good. This is looking pretty good. But you're missing some things. 
And they begin to tell the Colossian believers, hey, you know what? Jesus can't possibly be God incarnate. Not really. Because God is spirit, see? And Jesus is physical. And those two things just don't mesh. So let us teach you, these people said. They said Jesus is really just kind of like the first rung on the ladder to God. And you have to have this secret knowledge. You have to have these cert- do these certain things to move up that ladder to God. Epaphras is telling all of this to the Apostle Paul. And some in the Colossian church were being led astray by this false teaching, this false teaching called Gnosticism. So Epaphras went all the way to Rome to get Paul's help. And the Apostle Paul did what the Apostle Paul does best. He wrote a letter, right? It feels like the Apostle Paul thought a letter could fix anything, right? So he's like, oh, you got false teachers? I got an answer. Let's write a letter. And so he begins to dictate this letter to one of his brothers that's there with him who is writing this down, okay? So he he writes this very authoritative, eloquent, holy inspired, Holy Spirit inspired letter. And it's 15 verses into this letter when he just kind of drops the truth on them that this whole letter is going to be about. The thing that he wants them to, to take away from what he's writing. The supremacy of Christ, the fullness of Christ, Jesus plus nothing. You don't need anything else. You just need Christ. Christ is enough. Let me read you those verses, starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is, a, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Jesus Christ is everything, the Apostle Paul says. The beginning, the end, and the now. Everything else in the book of Colossians comes from this truth in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Everything is based on this truth. Because of this, then people, you and I, sinful, imperfect people, can make peace with God. Because of who Jesus is, we can make peace with God. Because of this, we live for him, and our thing becomes his thing. Because of this, he's not just our Savior, but he's our Lord and Master as well. Then in chapter 3, a few weeks ago, it got real practical and direct. It went from doctrine and theology to practice and kind of living this thing out. And it was basically like, hey, if all this is true in the first two chapters that we've been talking about, the supremacy of Christ, Jesus plus nothing, Christ is enough, then it means that you have to live differently. And he said, you gotta, you got to put on this new self. you gotta, you got to kill all these sinful attitudes and actions and desires like sexual immorality and impure thoughts and evil desires, anger, math, anger, wrath. Math we should kill too, though. I'm just, I'm just adding that in there. Thank you, Jesus. That was from the Holy Spirit. He said, put to death math. Sorry. Anger, wrath, malice, obscene talk, lying. And then he said, you should be renewed by the Holy Spirit, made more like Jesus. 
adopt these other attitudes and actions, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. And he said, let the peace, word, and name of Jesus Christ guide you in these things. And then he stayed very practical, the Apostle Paul did in his letter, in giving us direction on relationships. He goes, in your marriage, as you relate to your spouse, and and in your family, as you parent your children, and, and as you relate to people who lead you and the people that you lead. He said, hey, if Jesus Christ is the fullness of God, if he is supreme over all things, then that means that our relationships should involve him and we should be pulling ourselves and other people towards Jesus. We should be serving these other people on the other side of these relationships like we serve Jesus. And then last week in the beginning of chapter 4, it was that if all of this is true, then it should change the way we talk to God and it should change the way we talk to outsiders, to non-believers. If all of this is true about Jesus being the only fullness of God, supreme over all things, then you won't want to waste time. You you won't want to waste time. You'll want to be wise, gracious, and salty, right? How many of you have been salty this last week since the last message? You can take that either way. All right. Get those messages, greatoaks.church. Don't miss any of them. Paul is dictating all this while he's in prison, in chains, in Rome. More than a thousand miles from this church in Colossae. All because Epaphras showed up for help. Help in dealing with these Gnostic teachers that had infiltrated this church that he loved and served. And the Apostle Paul is almost done with this letter. And as he closes out, he's going to drop some names. He's going to drop about 10 names. We're not going to go through every name, but we're going to hit most of them. And in these names, we see examples of what a life in the master's hand, in the hands of Jesus, who is the fullness of God, looks like. Look at um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So our first example, as we look at these names that the Apostle Paul kind of drops in these last few verses, is Tychicus. Everybody say Tychicus. He shows up five times in the New Testament, Um, He's probably from Ephesus and came to know the Lord in Paul's ministry there. He he was with Paul for a long time. Tychicus was one of seven companions that went back with the Apostle Paul to Jerusalem where he was eventually uh, arrested and taken to prison in Rome. Tychicus stayed with Paul through thick and thin. Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 11 that he had been shipwrecked and adrift at sea and and many sleepless nights and on the brink of starvation and out in the wilderness when it was really cold, like exposure to the cold and, and people were robbing him and the Gentiles were against him and the Jews were against him and everybody was against him. The Apostle Paul says all this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Tychicus could have written that same thing about himself. He was with Paul through most of that. 
He was there with him in the hardest of times. He was a faithful servant alongside Paul. But listen, Tychicus never wrote anything that survived. He never led a church that we know of. He's not a big name in the New Testament. He basically became Paul's errand boy. I mean, he's the one carrying the letters. Now, he's just kind of running errands for Paul. As guitars go, Tychicus is a pretty common-sounding guitar. But Paul, he calls him a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus, he knew his part, and he played it well. He played it well. So here's the takeaway from Tychicus. A life in the master's hand is faithful no matter the task. You see, a lot of times we have this divide, this dichotomy in our lives. We have religious things over here and non-religious things over here. We have sacred things over here, and then we keep the secular things over here, big and small. But that's not reality. Everything you are called by God to do, big or small, sacred or secular, there's really no divide there. Inside or outside the church, all of it matters. It's all sacred. It's all big. It's all important. You have a part to play in this story, in God's story. At home, at work, at church, over lunch with a coworker, when you're serving in kids' ministry, when you're at the baseball game, when you're in your backyard, when you're talking to your neighbor, when you're doing laundry or the dishes. There is nothing menial, unimportant, secular or small. It's all sacred. It's all for Christ. It's all to bring glory to him and to lead others to him. Listen, Tychicus got that. He got that. He was faithful no matter the task. Let's look at the next name the Apostle Paul drops. Verse 9. And with him Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Onesimus. We talked about Onesimus last summer, actually, as we studied through or or preached through um, the book of Philemon, verse by verse. And so here's here's the thing about our boy Onesimus. He He wasn't always a faithful brother. Um, Onesimus had stolen money from Philemon and fled Philemon. And so Philemon kind of chased him or sent people after him and Onesimus kind of ducked him. And then Onesimus ran into the apostle Paul. And because the apostle Paul had given his life over to the master to be played as the master saw fit, when Onesimus met Paul, he met Jesus. And his life was transformed from the inside out. He was a different person. So here's the takeaway from Onesimus. A life in the master's hand reverses direction. And that's really what repentance means. 
It means that you were going this direction. Onesimus was, had stolen money, was running from Philemon, didn't have a thought about Jesus Christ at all. He met Paul, and in Paul met Jesus, and God transformed his life, and he reversed direction and ran towards the Lord. That's what it means to repent. His life went from worthless and dusty, sitting in the corner, unplayed by the master, to beautiful and vibrant as one of Paul's right-hand men. Empty to filled with God's presence. Self-centered to others-centered. His weakness transformed into Christ's strength in him. He was transformed into something new. This is how it happens. This is how it works. When you give your life over fully into the master's hands. This is, this is how it happens. You reverse direction every single time. Look at our next few names in the next few verses, starting in verse 10. Aristarchus, that's going to be the name of my next kid. Aristarchus, we're not having another kid. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So the Apostle Paul lists three Jewish people, men of the circumcision, uh, that are hanging out with him, that are part of his team there uh, in Rome. And so, and then in the next few verses, he lists three other names that we'll get into in a second that are all non-Jewish people, all Gentile uh, believers in Jesus. So here's what I want us to see, first of all, with this couple of verses. A, a life in the master's hand, it rejoices in diversity. It rejoices in diversity. Let me just kind of explain this a little bit. Uh, Gentile and Jewish people at this time didn't get along. They couldn't hang out. Jewish people couldn't be in the presence of Gentile people too long. They couldn't be in their houses. They couldn't eat with them or they would become ceremonially unclean. There were all of these religious barriers and cultural barriers and language barriers that were in the way. And so they hated each other. And yet these guys were all serving the Lord alongside Paul with this awesome unity. They had this view that differences like these, they weren't weaknesses. They aren't weaknesses, but strengths. That God had made them different on purpose so that they could accomplish the mission he had given them. They'd been under Paul's teaching that the, the church, those who believe in Jesus, are like a body made up of different parts with different functions and different roles to play and different giftings that each of the parts of the body bring to the table. And it's good. It's good that we're different. It's good that we're diverse. They got that. They rejoiced in that. Why? Because, listen, beloved, it's because Jesus doesn't just want to reach people who look like me. And thank God, right? I thought that was going to be funny, but. <laughs> he doesn't just want to reach people who look like me and think like me and, and agree with me and come from the same kind of place I come from and speak the same language that I speak and have the same political views that I have. He doesn't want to just reach people like me. He doesn't want to just reach people like you. He doesn't want to just reach rich people. He doesn't want to just reach poor people. He wants to reach everybody. 
every race, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every political view, every opinion, everyone, everywhere. Jesus wants to reach everybody. People who like dogs and people who like demon spawn, I mean cats. (laughs) He wants to reach everybody. Close to God, far from God, he wants to reach everybody. People with education and people without it. People who agree with you and people who don't. People who eat gluten. And people who deprive themselves of all joy. (laughs) Even though they're not in the 0.5% of people with celiac disease. I just made that up. I have no idea. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You totally have it. It's fine. Don't eat gluten. Just give me your gluten. Everybody, they got this. These guys with Paul, they got this. And when you get this, you rejoice in differences and diversity. Because you know you need it. If you're going to see such a diversity of people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, don't you need a diversity of people on your team? Don't you need differences represented on your team? Or or are we just going to reach one kind of people? Yeah. Let me talk about one specific name in these verses real quick. Uh, Mark. This is the Mark um, that years before this letter had been with Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. And Mark actually abandoned Paul. Things got really difficult and Mark bailed. Okay, he left the Apostle Paul while he's on his first missionary journey. Paul wasn't too excited about that. Later, when they're going on a different missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas says, hey, let's take Mark again. And Paul goes, no. We need somebody we can count on. That's already happened. Let's not do that again. We're not taking Mark. We can't count on him. And Barnabas actually parts ways with Paul over this dispute. He takes Mark with him, and Paul takes a guy named Silas with him. And they go separate ways, spreading the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. Mark bailed on Paul. This is all in Acts 15. But now, 12 years after that, during the writing of the book of Colossians, Mark is with Paul in Rome. He's ministering to Paul while Paul is in prison. And he writes in his letter, if, if he comes to you, if Mark comes to you, you should welcome him. You hear what he's, do you hear what he's saying? He's going, hey, you might have heard what happened with Mark. You might have heard how he abandoned me. Just welcome him. I'm past it. Just welcome Mark when he comes to you. So here's our takeaway. A life in the master's hand chooses mission over mistakes. Mission over mistakes. These men of God were not going to let Mark's mistake 12 years ago get in the way of the mission. They forgave each other and they moved on because the mission was more important than the mistakes that were made. They they forgave each other. And the God in them wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, there's nothing you can do but forgive if you're a Christ follower. It wasn't an option for them to hold a grudge or hold on to some seed of bitterness. I mean, if two professing Jesus followers can't forgive and move on, I'm not sure they're Jesus followers. At least one of them's not, right? 
I mean, because isn't it impossible to accept the unconditional forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, through the cross, and then not show forgiveness to a brother or sister in Christ? If you're full of him, of Jesus, then you'll be like him and you'll forgive. You'll choose mission over mistakes. You'll move on together in unity. Look at verse 12. We get some more names here. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. I'm going to roll these next three names into one takeaway. Here it is. A life in the master's hand becomes others-focused. A life in the master's hand becomes others-focused. Our first example of this is Epaphras. We've talked about him. He's the one who came to Paul for help. It says he's always struggling in his prayer for uh, the believers in Colossae. He's concerned about them standing firm and mature in Christ. He's working hard on their behalf. I mean, he traveled a thousand miles in the ancient world to get to Paul, to get him to write a letter to help the believers in the Colossian church. He was others-focused. The next name he mentions we know well, it's Luke. He's the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. He's the only non-Jewish person to write a book of the New Testament. Luke was with the Apostle Paul throughout his missionary journeys or through a lot of them. He's a trusted friend. He's there through thick and thin. Everybody loves Luke. He's an awesome historian. And and who doesn't like having a doctor around, right? I mean, just in case. So everybody loves Luke. Extremely talented guy who could have easily stayed where he was when he heard about Jesus and said, hey, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Thank you, Jewish people, for telling me about Jesus. I'm going to stay here and kind of tell my neighbors, and I'm going to raise some kids that follow Jesus, and, and this is kind of my location. Like, I'm not going to move from here, but, but I'm going to do this Jesus thing right here. He could have done that. Could have made a good living. Could have stayed where he was. But he wasn't focused on himself. When he gave his life to the master, he became others focused and he gave up everything to travel the ancient world with Paul, plant churches, and put together what he would later call an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ that survives to this day, the Gospel of Luke. The other name in this verse is Demas. Everybody say Demas. Demas shows up later after Colossians is written in 2 Timothy 4.10. This is what the Apostle Paul says about Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Everybody say, way to go, Demas. Right? It's like, man, you made it into the Bible, but not in the good way. He goes, he's deserted me. He's left me for Thessalonica. He's in love with this world. Our example here isn't actually Demas, but Paul. I'm thinking when Paul is dictating this letter to the Colossian church from his chains in Rome, that he knows where Demas is heading, that he knows that he's headed towards the wrong path. I mean, the apostle Paul 
had this amazing supernatural discernment from the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking he knew that Demas was heading towards this wrong path, getting ready to desert him, and that he was in love with the world. I think he knew about it. And plus, he says something nice about everybody else he mentions. And Demas, he's just like, and Demas is here too. I don't know. Luke, Mark, and Barnabas, and Epaphras is awesome, and Demas is here, right? I think he knew what was going to happen. I think he saw it coming. But Paul still had him around. So Paul was holding on to hope for Demas. We're talking about how a life in the master's hand is others-focused. So listen, when your focus is not on yourself but on others, When you open your heart up wide and allow others to come into your life for their benefit, you will be deserted, abandoned, lied to, betrayed. It will happen. It's not a question of if, but it's a question of when. And you might even see it coming. You might even see this betrayal coming and you might be able to head it off at the pass. You might be able to betray them before they betray you, right? You might be able to kind of cut them off before they cut you off. Show them before they betray you. But that's not the way it works when your life is in the master's hand. It's it's others focused. So much so that it holds out hope for that person that they'll choose the right way. It seeks to help that person. No matter how many times they betray you and no matter how many times they prove that they are in love with this present world like Demas was. So, you expect imperfections. You should at least. Even even in Christians. We're running out of time, so let me give you the last one. Look at it with me in verse 15. It says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill this ministry, the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Lots of names in that verse or those verses, but what I want you to see is the Apostle Paul's heart here as he closes out this letter. He's getting ready to end, and he's thinking, how can I make sure that the truth that I'm writing in this letter gets to as many people as possible? How can I make sure that the gospel gets to as many people as possible? How can I leverage this for Jesus? So a life in the master's hand is consumed with getting as many lives as possible there too. Paul's like, hey, read this to the Laodiceans. And I heard there's like a church meeting in Nympha's house. Make sure it gets there and exchange letters. Make sure you read that other letter. Just get everybody to read the letters and the truth of Jesus Christ. And then he goes, oh, yeah, and Archippus. Tell Archippus to get busy, will you? I mean, tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry God has given him. There are people who need to hear the truth of the gospel through Archippus. And he's sitting on his hands. Make sure he gets busy. The Apostle Paul is just consumed with getting as many people into the kingdom of God as possible, with reaching as many people with the truth of the gospel as possible, with with declaring the mystery of the gospel to as many as possible. 
that there's no end to his passion to reach people for Jesus. His passion for the mission of God to reconcile the world back to himself. That's how it is when your life is in the master's hand. When you're the instrument being played by Jesus. When your life is a worship song to God. So Paul is in chains. He's almost done with his letter. He's been dictating it to one of his brothers who's writing it down. Now he's ready to close it out. And he decides to write the last part himself. So his chains kind of clang together as he reaches for that reed pen to write the last words. His hands are shaking as he tries to listen to the Holy Spirit about what he's supposed to write. He's yearning. His heart is yearning for these believers in Colossae. He's broken. His heart is broken for those who have already been led astray. He's praying, God, please use what I'm writing to help them, to help them. Look at the last verse of this letter to the Colossian church with me. He writes in verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The Apostle Paul's life was a great example of a life in the master's hand. He was a Pharisee diametrically opposed to the cause of Christ. He hated all Christians. He hated Jesus. He wanted all Christians to die like a guitar left unplayed and in disrepair in a dusty corner of a storage shed. The Apostle Paul's life was out of tune. There were some strings that were too tight, some strings that were too loose, some strings that were broken all together. And the sound his life was making was terrible, worthless. But even in the worst of conditions, if that guitar is picked up by the right person, by the master, then it can be tuned, it can be fixed, it can be used, it can play the song it was supposed to play. It can be so much. I mean, the music that it makes can bring people to tears, move thousands towards Christ, bring many into the presence of God and help them line their lives up with worship to the one who created them. Listen, your life is an instrument You were created to be played by the master of the universe. The God of creation made you to play a part in the largest symphony ever. You're supposed to draw, your life song is supposed to draw people into the presence of God. Draw people to the truth of Jesus Christ. You may feel worthless You may feel like you've been placed in some corner just to to fall into disrepair and just to have all this dust on you and to be unable to be played. You You may feel that your life is too far out of tune, that you can't possibly be tuned up enough. You may feel that you're too far gone. There are too many strings broken, too many nicks in the wood. 
But that's not true. The only reason you feel that way is because you have yet to put your life completely and fully into the hands of the master. Any instrument is only worth as much as the musician playing it. But here's the thing. Many of us would rather our lives stay in the corner. We'd rather stay in the corner gathering dust because we think it's safer there. Because what we're talking about, giving your life over to the master, giving your life over to Jesus to be played and to be used by him, it's not easy. There are ups and downs. Sometimes strings break and other times a tune-up is needed. The master has to tighten some things down and loosen some things up. Many of us, even though we profess to be Christ followers, hide from being used by the master. Because there's great potential for pain were we to give our lives over to Jesus completely, right? But I want you to hear that there's also great potential for joy. Joy beyond anything you could ever imagine. And the impact of a life used by God, an impact of a life in the master's hand on those around you, on your family, on your neighbors, on your coworkers, that impact is so much greater than a life that's left in the corner. Here's what I'm saying. You can take your eyes out of your head. Make yourself go blind so that you don't have to see what's ugly and what's difficult in this world. But if you do that, you'll also be missing out on what's beautiful in this world. You can rupture, intentionally rupture your own eardrums so that you don't have to hear all the discord and the songs played out of tune in our world. But if you do that, you'll miss out on notes played right. You'll miss out on being moved by the music. So I invite you today to once and for all, despite the worries, fears, and doubts, to give your life over to the master. To give your life over into the hands of Jesus. Jesus who is the fullness of God, Jesus, who is supreme over all things. Let's pray. Jesus, I think as we study this, as we've talked about this today, I, I'm just drawn to this idea of your grace, just that you prove your grace in this whole thing, that no matter how messed up we are, no matter how out of tune we are, you, God, you pick us up and you show us grace and you patiently tune us and get us in line with, with the song you want us to sing, the song you want our lives to sing. I'm just thankful for your grace, that there's no place we could go that's too far for your love to reach us. 
no thing we could do that would disqualify us from playing the song that you've created us to play. So I thank you for that, Jesus. As always today, Lord, I pray that whatever is of me would be easily forgotten, but whatever is of you in this message would be remembered, would haunt us every day and would draw us closer to you. Jesus, for those people in this room who have yet to give their lives over to you, into your hands completely, I pray, God, that that you would draw them close to you, that they would trust you, that they would, Holy Spirit, that you would get them past the fear of, of letting go, losing control, and that today, once and for all, they would hand their lives over to you to be played and used in whatever way you want to. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the glory and all the praise. Everybody said, amen. Here's my prayer for you today. May you believe what the book of Colossians has said over and over and over, that Christ is enough. May that belief lead you to trust him and him only with your life. And may your life from this day forward produce the sweetest, most captivating song for Jesus. Thank you so much for coming today. I've asked Pastor Nate to lead us in a specific song. I I pray that this song is your heart's desire. We'll see you next week as we start our new series, Follow Me. God bless.